Welcome to This Week in Common Sense, starring Paul Jacob. My name is Timothy Verkula. In this episode, I do what I usually do, try to help Paul cover the big stories he's covered this week at thisiscommonsense.org. He writes five pieces a week. We talk about, we try to talk about all five. We'll see how this conversation goes. This is Friday, August 11th. It's starting now. Our first script this week was Big Gov Google Plex. And uh, this is another installment in the continuing saga of government, big corporation collusion to destroy people's ability to speak out politically uh, about life and death issues in medicine, so on and so on. And uh, what, what sparked this is that Robert Kennedy Jr., uh, Bobby Kennedy's son, who, of course, uh, is a lot older than he was when Bobby Kennedy was gunned down, uh, uh, has sued YouTube and, of course, his parent company, Google, for taking his his, uh, uh, YouTube videos and squelching them, uh, banning them. And, uh, you know, it... What, what's interesting is, and and you know, people can find things they don't like that uh, uh, RFK Jr. has said. I'm sure uh, he said some things I don't think are right. Uh, that's not a oh well. Then you can, you know, basically cancel people. And you know, this is this is core, fundamental, basic freedom versus tyranny. Uh, it, it shows what a revolution it was for the First Amendment to be written into law and into our Constitution as the, as the first of the Bill of Rights, in that even today, most of the world, you know, the, the national security law in China that they imposed on Hong Kong, there's nothing new about that. And a lot of places in this world have something very similar, which is if you say anything we don't like politically, we're going to arrest you and maybe torture you and maybe kill you. And, you know, the First Amendment is a real cut against that because it says government shall make no law affecting any of the things like religion and press. And we're going to be able to say whatever we want. We're totally free. And we have we as a society, at least the elites of our society, have decided that's no longer such a good idea because the little people, the people who aren't as smart as we elites, we can't let them know stuff. If they know stuff, they may not vote our way. We can only let them know what, if we allow them to know it, will keep them under our control. And that's the sort of compassion that we have in big government and the and the left these days that the the little people we need to take care of them therefore we cannot have a pluralistic i almost said that right uh society because we can't we can't trust that the voters are going to vote our way and we see that in the you know everything from the Hunter Biden laptop in the last election, um, and the fact that they they somehow don't think that it's a story that you know 
the president's son has and his whole family have been showered with millions of dollars from Chinese state connected companies, from bad acting uh, companies in Ukraine. It, the media just doesn't cover it. They do not want us to think about it or to know anything about it. And they'd like a government that would unleash them, uh, especially by clamping down on anything in social media where all of us get to say something. That has to be regulated really aggressively because who knows what we might learn there. And this is, uh, it, it's, it's so different from the sort of, I mean, you know, most of my life, if you talked about censorship, the media was against it. Now they're for it. That says a hell of a lot. So in your piece, how did you deal with the, they're a private company business? Well, um, we don't really, uh, uh, you know, deal so much with, with, them as a private company, it's clear that they've had communications, uh, uh, you know, and, and, you know, the, the, the whole idea that, that, uh, YouTube is a private, it is, but it's also being instructed by the government and that sort of conclusion, uh, collusion, not even, thinking about the amount of monetary uh, involvement. Uh, when, when the Twitter files came out, uh, one of the things we found out is that the government was paying Twitter, paying Twitter to, to help, you know, uh, look at these things and, and censor. Uh, that's, that's a real problem. It's an interesting thing when, you know, a big business basically pretends to be for everybody and wants everybody as a client, but then works with one party or one group of people in power to further their ends. I mean, it's, it's an amazing case, uh, even without the, even without the, you know, legal instructions from government, because it said this is all right. kind of extra legal governmental work, right? Uh, it was all, it was, uh, right. right. About two weeks ago, Dr. John Campbell, who you often quote, uh, asked an interesting question he asked what is the first amendment in the united states does it allow uh, does it allow uh, it says congress shall make no law respecting the freedom of speech but does that apply to the presidency yes <laughs> because he didn't know but it does of course apply to the administrative arm because the administrative arm is assumed to be enforcing right. and enacting right. what and right. making making real the wishes of congress so it's it's a kind of a goofy question, but it it is the kind of niceties we get into when we're dealing with modern times because we have these big corporations that are not behaving in the ways we expected media people to behave because they they aren't behaving at all like what we were taught when we were young that this is you know this is the the people this is you know right. fighting to get information from government. They're our watchdog, and boy, yeah. talk about a watchdog that, that needs to go to the pound. It's interesting too that, you know, they this idea that somehow in their capacity as as members of the government that it's okay for them to be telling these different big corps, social media platforms that 
you know, this is how you should censor and collude with them. That's not their job. And of course, you know, the executive branch of government can't do anything that Congress hasn't authorized. So when you say Congress shall make no law, if Congress hasn't made a law, the executive branch can't do anything. It really is relevant to us online too. I mean, this is this is this is really the big one for us in a sense because we are talking online. Uh, Twitter fairly recently, the new head of Twitter uh, talked about how successful their new strategy for uh, speech on Twitter, and it wasn't a hopeful speech. She she was just excited about the good work they were doing, but she had spoken her rhymed cliches. Did you catch that at all? No, uh, I didn't. Yeah, she's what happened. You know, the question is. Uh, what if it's lawful but awful speech? So they suppress the, the reach of the speech. So freedom of speech is not freedom of reach. So they really are still suppressing information. Yeah. They're just not taking people or posts down. They're just making it harder to find. And that's an interesting thing uh, when that happens. I think that's wrong on the part of Twitter now and the new president of Twitter or whatever she is. I think Elon should fire her. I agree. And, and you know, we, we spoke uh, maybe a week ago uh, in a piece. We pointed out that, that they had, um, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lose my train of thought here as to how they, they had had a, um, it, w it was somewhat like this same thing where they, they had said, oh, I, I know what it was. The Facebook people were saying, why are we censoring this stuff? And one of the people suggested, well, we could just, you know, do an algorithm on it. We could just suppress its reach. And uh, and that's that censorship, too. It it you know, we don't none of these platforms say, hey, come put your stuff on our platform, because then we'll decide who gets to say what and who can see what. And 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 this should just irritate their customer base, which of course is not really a customer base, it's a victim base. Um, someone uh, said, and I think correctly, that if you if you don't pay anything for a service, you're not the customer, you're the product. And, uh, and of course, that's what they're doing is they're selling information to us. And Facebook these days, it seems like there's as many uh, paid posts as there are posts from your friends. Um, so it's, it's, uh, it's I'm not sure how long Facebook's going to be around, but it, it the, the fact that they are completely banning certain things, but then other things they're going to, you know, moderate in the sense of let's make it to where no one can hear or see it. And I watch a number of videos online about what's happening in, in Asia these days and and dealing with China. And a number of is interesting. None of the, uh, you know, none of the YouTubers who are bought and paid for by the CCP in China, uh, they don't seem to be complaining about having anything, you know, uh, demonetizing their videos or or somehow losing subscribers or all the different complaints that I hear all the YouTubers who are on the side of wait a second, the, the, the China-Nazi threat is real. Um, and, and you know, it, it's pretty interesting. That is a form of censorship. And, and you know, it, when you think about this problem, I think 
decades ago, had people found out there was this sort of censorship going on, it would have been a lot of people upset. And now it seems like you have a huge chunk of people who are invested in political issues enough to discuss them. And, you know, a lot of people don't want anything to do with it. And I kind of understand that too. Um, but there's a lot of people who it's not good to censor. Who are they censoring? My enemy? Okay. Well, then that's not so bad. And as long as that's the view of a sizable number of Americans, we're sunk. We will not get uh, a, a free speech regime back in, in power anytime soon if it's all going to be, hey, it's okay to censor the other guy. Then it's just, you know, whoever won the last election, the other folks are going to get censored. I just want to say one thing about this freedom of reach uh, problem. The, the, you know, you have freedom of speech, but you have no freedom of reach. That's actually wrong. Because freedom of speech is the first clause. Freedom of the press is the second clause, right? Or it's in there, in, in that order. Right, right. Press is freedom of reach. The freedom of the press, that's how you get the reach, is through the press. And these company are, companies are offering press, and then they're reneging on the terms, and they're fiddling with the, the terms that you assume they have. Right, And so right. they are actually scuttling the thing they offer. Because freedom of speech is something you have on your property. It's and you have other your neighbors. Wherever you go, you have it according to whoever owns the property and who makes the rules for, the, for that price. Right. The press is where the reach comes in. They are part of the press, and they are betraying their trust. That's what I look at it as. Yes. Think about how important the right to assembly is. There's a lot of countries when things get bad, uh, oh, you can say maybe what you want here on home, but you can't assemble and get together and talk. Um, you know, the, the, the founders of our country, from a governmental standpoint, whatever warts they had, and they had plenty, like everybody does, they understood you need weapons. If the government has all the weapons and you don't, you're in trouble. They understood that if, if the government can control the press, if the government can control who can assemble, if they, they were, they basically understood the nature of government. And it's why this experiment has been so successful. Uh, they sure weren't perfect. They didn't write everything perfectly in, but they, but they understood the power of government. It's why they had three branches that were supposed to kind of hold each other in check. And, and I think as the federal government has become you know, gargantuan, um, you know, that, that they've tended to collude with each other, but there's, there's still, uh, I pointed out from time to time that it, it seems like the federal courts, uh, are, are a functional branch of government. We've, we've lost our representative branch. Congress is, is pretty much gone. Not that we can't get it back. We've got to get it back, but we have to recognize reality. They don't represent us. Not today tomorrow next week probably not uh down the road we we're gonna have to work toward that and the president you know um what's interesting is i look at biden and i look at trump and i think man this is this these are not the choices we want but in a sense Trump was, for a lot of people, what they want in a president, someone that they don't feel like they're getting any representation. 
They don't feel like the, the government works for them, but they've got someone who is like them and gets mad at government and says this and says what he wants. And so, you know, for a certain segment of the, of the country, I think Trump was the president they wanted much more than, you know, uh, you know, if I think of my favorite president, I didn't like him. <laughs> you know, because I don't, I can't think of any of them that I, oh, they were really great. And, uh, uh, you know, I went to jail for not registering for the draft during Reagan's time. So, you know, I, I think in some ways from a philosophical standpoint, he was the best president in my lifetime. And so I have to say the best president in my lifetime lied about an issue I cared about and then put me in jail after saying that he would, he would end the program. So, uh, you know, it's that that tends to come with a little bit of, hey, none of these guys are quite perfect. Um, but we we have a system in which none of us you win the election, your party, your candidate, you, you don't feel represented. And that that tells you that this is a systemic problem. And uh, it's why term limits are so important. Uh, it's, it's why I think we've got to get to smaller districts where instead of letting these bureaucracies, uh, clamp down on speech and regulate everything, everybody's spending in elections, which is to get the billionaires, even though the billionaires keep doing just fine. And the rest of us are tied up in knots of red tape. Um, these, these issues, um, I think are are really really critical going forward, and we are we have re-entered I think an age. You know, I, I point out that I think the termless movement came from the end of the Cold War, Berlin Wall going down, Tiananmen Square, and we see we see around the world these people revering the the symbols that we hold dear and then we you know for, so for the first time since world war ii we get to look at our government without fearing what's happening overseas and we don't like what we see and that's what kicked off a lot of things like term limits and then of course when the planes hit the twin towers and the pentagon on on uh, 9 11 uh at the turn of the century 2001, that changed and foreign policy again became a, a big deal. And it's tougher to reform when we're focused abroad. And yet at this vantage point, I think we desperately need reform at home. But it's not as if you can say, hey, let, let's let the world take care of itself in the sense that the United States has, has told the whole world, we've, we've got your back. And now we've got totalitarian regimes who, uh, uh, well, uh, I don't know that I quite call Russia. Russia doesn't have the competence to be quite totalitarian. They're authoritarian. They can't, can't quite get that last couple percentiles of uh, tyranny. That seems like a good old-fashioned tyranny to me. Yes, uh, not the modern that. super state uh, right. surveillance. That's, that's something I don't think that most people didn't understand until modern times. Uh, didn't see the potential, though there have been totalitarian states in the past. It seems totalitarian to me, but they're kind of few and far between. I think the Inca is the grand example of a ancient world or you know old old totalitarian state. Yes. Now, 
one of the things you know, you've been have a number of issues. You mentioned you know the old time issue of term limits, which is dear to your heart, and you've been working on it for ages. Uh, another one that you covered in your column a lot is what you dealt with on Tuesday, which is civil asset forfeiture. Still to this day, I don't think they understand that governments do this. Local governments and the federal government do this quite often because they can get rich off of it or their departments can get rich off of it. They just take your property without charging you anything and then make you uh, somehow defend your right to that property. It's so against the right. grain of the American uh, British system, the, the common law system. There's nothing in the common law system that really could justify it. There's nothing, nothing there. But it's there. It's we have it. And it was proposed as a way to go after drug kingpins and take all their ill, ill-gotten gains. And most of the forfeitures are five hundred and a thousand and two thousand dollars. And what that means is they've taken your two thousand dollars or your five hundred dollars. You'd like to get it back, but you've got to go to court to get it back. Even though you've you've not been charged with any crime, you've not committed any crime. So what do you think it's going to cost you to go to court? And so most people don't spend four or five thousand dollars going to court to get back five hundred dollars or a thousand or two thousand dollars because they're smart. And and so it's a, it's just an evil system. Build is a way to get the drug kingpins, but literally robbing little old ladies of the the cash in their purse after a traffic stop. It's disgusting. And it is absolutely corrupting. And the American people, the polls I saw a decade ago, and I saw a number of them, we're talking 90% of the people opposed to this because of course it flies right in the face of innocent until proven guilty <clears throat> it doesn't take a brilliant constitutional scholar to understand why that's a really bad idea and yet almost nothing's been done about it a bunch of different i say that a bunch of states have passed stuff but a lot of them had huge holes in the legislation put there by police, like whispering, well, but give us this little big hole here. Um, also, a lot of the states, after it was outlawed for them to do civil asset forfeiture under state law, they buddied up with the feds and the feds would set up the civil asset forfeiture with them. The feds would take the money and then the feds would kick back some of the money to the state. And local folks. So now we've got all three, you know, we've got state, local, and, and federal all colluding together to rip us off. And the piece you wrote on August 8th is time to slap grabby hands. And Congress is actually doing something about it, I understand. Yes, yes. The House has passed something. Let's see if the Senate will do it. And and if <clears throat> if I were a Republican strategist. I'd be crowing about this and I'd be putting all kinds of pressure on the Senate. Uh, and let's see how the Democrats that control the Senate do in getting this thing passed. American people overwhelmingly for it. This particular bill, one of the things it does is it raises um, the, the threshold um, where you can't, you can't get back uh, you know, you can't use the money for your own department. It raises, I think, the threshold that you could do any civil asset forfeiture to be way above 
any level that, you know, you'd have to show that somebody was a drug kingpin, actually, or something on that order. Um, so it, it's, it's a great bill. It doesn't totally outlaw civil asset forfeiture. And of course, what needs to happen is for them to totally outlaw civil forfeiture. It's kind of like saying, well, we know it's wrong, but we're just going to do a little bit of it. And just over here, and we're not, you know, it, when we, when we, you know, punch you, we're not going to punch you quite as hard. Um, so, so at the same time that I applaud the House for doing this, um, if the American people, you know, if we could put a, a measure on the ballot to wipe out entirely, abolish civil asset forfeiture, it would win in a walk. It would, I think it would have 80% plus of the vote. Um, it's only because we have to work through these dumb schools in Congress that, that we haven't already done that. But having said that, thank goodness that at least the House Republicans are passing something like this that would really create a situation in which civil asset forfeiture is almost never used. Your Wednesday piece uh, is donors don't donate their privacy. Donors don't donate their privacy, which is obviously this is, true. <laughs> this is it, it's hard to figure out what the feel good story of the week is. And usually, you know, we're lucky if there's any feel good story because polit you know, we deal with politics. We don't want to lie to you. And uh, but this is sort of a feel good story because in Alabama, they passed a law that says that a donor to a 501c, you know, C3 or C4 nonprofit organization should not be disclosed and identified uh, in, in public, uh, by public agencies. And this is where they're, you know, uh, several years ago, California passed a law requiring that, that nonprofits release their donors to the state. And the state was, you know, very happy to share all that information with everybody. Um, you have a right to anonym anonymity in making contributions. Um, and, and the truth is, I think you have that right when the contribution is a contribution to a political candidate running for office. But the courts have been much iffier about that because there could be corruption. Now, none of the laws that they've passed have, have helped stop any corruption, but because of that, they wanna know who the donors are. And, you know, a lot of people all they can see is sunshine. We, we want to know everything. We should have a right to know everything. Well, you know, you don't have a right to know everything. You don't have a right to know your neighbor's personal business if they don't want you to know it. And certain things, uh, you know, people have a right to, to not be public. And of course, when it comes to politics, especially in today's world, you can see the kind of recriminations you might face if someone finds out you've made a contribution because we're in the middle of, uh, you know, kind of cancel culture, uh, uh, you know, days. But this is not a unique situation. There, there's a great court case many years ago that came out of a really sickening situation in Alabama uh, where they just passed this recent thing saying that you, you, you know, the state doesn't get to, to divulge every donor to every group. There were 
donors to the NAACP in the state of Alabama. This is in the early 60s. Uh, I think it's early 60s. Was it the 50s? I think it was early 60s. Um, anyway, I'm looking at the script real quick and I don't see, but I, I think it was, uh, uh, I think we had a footnote to it. But anyway, uh, that case, the, the basically the, the powers that be in Alabama wanted to know who's giving to the NAACP and they wanted to know for, for one reason, so they could stop them uh, or punish them. And, and why would you punish them? So you'd stop them or stop anyone else. And the NAACP refused because they knew you're handing this information over to people who, you know, do things like firebomb churches and stuff. So it, it might not be a good idea. It went all the way to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court ruled that they had a right to be anonymous donors. They had a right to their privacy and interestingly enough, years ago, and I can't really remember whether it was five or 10 or whatever, but there, was, there were court cases in California where the Socialist Workers Party had refused to divulge their donors. And the state came after them. They went to court and said, we're, our donors fear retribution if they're publicized. And the court ruled that they that was a legitimate fear and they did not have to disclose that information now and this this sort of thing happens a lot it seems like in our jurisprudence and i think it's horrible so the 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 way it works now is sort of if you can show the court that enough people hate you or enough people will be vicious and violent against you, maybe, because of course you can't prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that someone's going to kill you next week. Um, so that if there's a history, you know, where people, did someone beat up your parents? Were there people in your same party? Were they like killed or, or harassed 20 years ago? That determines whether you have to divulge donors or not. Why wouldn't there be a system across the board that said, because of the chance that anyone at any time could go after you for that donation, you don't have to be public. And someone might say, well, geez, if you don't have to be public, then everything's going to be secret. And we won't know who's funding these campaigns. Now, first of all, I would say, the more we learn about who's funding these campaigns, it doesn't seem to have any impact whatsoever. We're getting more special interest money, not less. We're getting, everything's getting worse, not better. So if, if we're after sunshine and it's not irrational necessarily to say, if we forced everybody to tell us, then we'd have more sunshine. But all we know is since those laws have gone into effect, it's gotten worse, not better. And if people really want sunshine, there's an easy way to get it. If you don't divulge your donors, I'm not voting for you. Now, that seems to me to be, you know, do you care about who's funding this person or not? And what we have today is a situation in which everybody's attacked because they're getting money from this group or that group. And oftentimes they're not getting money from those groups. They've got this many people who happen to be 
lawyers or happen to be doctors or happen to be bankers who've given money and they're extrapolating that. But I'm not suggesting there's there's no influence or no PACs that are giving. They're all giving. But it, it just it strikes me as as an issue that's so important to some people and yet they continue to do and add do you know try to institute laws that they recognize didn't haven't worked and and the more you ratchet them up the less they work it's like if you feel like you're in a hole and you're getting deeper and deeper stop digging and and they haven't done that yet and and what alabama is doing here is very important it also ties back to the thing we talk about fairly often, smaller districts where we're electing people we actually might know and where big money can't come in with 30-second TV ads and, and all kinds of mail and just demonize people because they live in our communities. They're one of you know 30,000 of us. That's where I really think the, the line should be. No districts bigger than 30,000. It'd make for a very large Congress, but it'd make for a Congress that was elected not because of big money, but because people in that 30,000 person district knew this person and chose this person over the other people they could choose. That's, you know, that's what we're after. And uh, at least that's what I'm after. I think a lot of times people are after government their way. And they're pro-democracy because they realize that they don't have any good arguments to not be pro-democracy, but they're really only for winning. And that's not, that's not pro-democracy. Uh, and so, you know, th there is a problem there, but most people are pro-democracy. And, and so that it, it seems to me that the idea that we would elect people in smaller, smaller districts where they are closer to their constituents that can't be a bad thing. That can only be a good thing. Your fourth piece is students strike back. And here we're talking about colleges again. And that's been an issue, you know, on our minds a lot in the last several years, too. And it's all about speech. It's all about trying to control speech. Uh, and and once upon a time, of course, in the 1960s, um, you know, I, I was just a kid. Uh, it wasn't my fault. Anyway, uh, uh, in the 1960s, you know, you had you had Berkeley, California, the free speech that we have to allow free speech so kids can learn all kinds of things. We can't suppress speech. And now we have colleges where we must suppress speech. Any idea that might make someone feel uncomfortable and by someone, we mean someone on the left. <laughs> that has to be suppressed and um and it just and this is silliness uh what was it clovis uh, community college i may have gotten that wrong yeah it's clovis community college and and so young americans for freedom have a flyer it's an anti-socialism flyer and uh and so they the they give it to whoever you give it to to say we were passing this out or maybe the, the the college actually passes them out or puts them in people's mailbox however they get out they've had it literally pre-approved and then some people didn't like it it made them feel uncomfortable and they and they censor it they ban it 
and of course, FIRE, the Foundation for Individual Rights in Education. Is that correct? It used to be Individual Rights in Education. It's it's now uh, we 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 spelled it out. I'm going to go find it here and and read it. Uh, individual Rights and Expression. Because they've gotten bigger than just education, which I, I think is smart. They're a really good group, and they do a lot of good work. They're a lot like, uh, uh, I don't know if they're a lot like, except that I like them a lot, and I like Institute for Justice. And, of course, there's there's some others uh, uh, out there. Uh, what is the Alliance for, for Freedom or something that uh, I may have gotten their name wrong? There's a number of, of legal outfits that are doing some fantastic work. My memory has it that fire was started in the 90s during the first political correctness uh, phase, right? Remember the early 90s we had a... Yes. Remember the, the water buffaloes episode? Where yes. some guy referred to a, a bunch of women as water buffaloes and that was somehow offensive. It's puzzling is what it was, but uh, that's okay. Uh, anyway, uh, just so the fire has been around a while. Yes, and it was, uh, it was once... Uh, uh, you know about education only and they just expanded their <laughs> the 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 attacks on free speech expanded and and so did they um but this is one where you know they're going to end up getting damages from the college and one of the good things is the, the college very quickly this community college they've they very quickly when they realized they were going to be sued um decided okay you can do the it's okay for those flyers but they didn't establish any sort of policy that they, the same thing wouldn't happen again. And fire to its credit said, no, 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 we're continuing the suit. And they've already got a preliminary injunction. Of course, the, the, the community college backed off. So, so, you know, and, and if they didn't back off, there's, there's a federal court that's enjoying their behavior, but it doesn't stop them from doing it again and saying, well, we thought this was a different situation. And that's why fire is pushing them to develop some sort of official statement that says people can speak freely. Um, and it seems it doesn't seem like too much to ask. So that brings us to the last piece of the week with outlawed but unmoved. A title I my like. That's your title too, and it's it's a good title. And it's my favorite piece of the week in the sense that, and this is. Go read this. I, I almost hate to, to say too much about it. A guy named Mike the Mover, uh, Washington State, uh, wanted to start a moving company. That's not something that was allowed in Washington State. Um, you know, when you hear stuff like that, it, I think, wait a second. That's the sort of thing you'd hear, you know, <laughs> this is what sparked the, uh, uh, the, the revolution in Tunisia, uh, that, that people couldn't basically... Uh, be gainfully employed. And here in the United States, we have all kinds of states where you can't start a moving company unless the other moving companies say it's okay. I mean, that's insane. Um, well, in Washington State, they went for years without allowing any new moving companies. And this guy had a moving company. Now, he didn't get permission to have the moving company. He just started moving people. And, and, uh, and of course he had Mike, the mover on his truck or something. And, you know, it, 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 he ended up getting fined. 
I believe he was. He spent a few days in jail. He never um, paid the fines, though. If, isn't that part of your story? It, I believe that he never he did not pay those fines, and he basically just kept doing what he was going to do. And you, you can look at it one way, and you can say, well, he broke the law, and he he was never sorry about breaking the law, and he, you know, they should throw the book at him. The reality is that he moved a bunch of people. They were happy about it. And uh, and he broke a stupid law, an evil law, a wrong law. And uh, and the truth is that motivation that he has, that's that's what makes the world go round. People who say, you know, I'm going to do this thing. Not people who say I'm going to, you know, do some crazy criminal vicious activity, but good people who are who, hey, I want to do this. And I'm going to go serve these customers. And we can either as a society applaud or we can stand in their way. But you know what? There's a lot of people like this that if we stand in their way, if we applaud, they will hardly hear it because they're living their own lives. And if we stand in their way, they're going to just move around us. And if we move, they're going to move and they're not going to stop. They're going to live their own life, whether we like it or not. And I think we should just like it. And I think we should recognize that Mike the Mover is as emblematic of American freedom as any American has ever been. Okay, there's three things I want to say about that. The relevant slogan could be capitalist acts between consenting adults because that's what it was all about for him right <laughs> and that's robert nozick's that's robert nozick's term from anarchy state and utopia that's where he right. defended libertarian ideas just the basic idea of liberty either, why do you complain about capitalist acts between among consenting adults the second thing i wanted to say is that this is washington state and i know the state pretty well because i live in it and right. uh and that's all because of unions this used to be a really strong union state now it's just a strong democratic state so there's really not a great deal of difference there, but that, that but and the unions are the ones who complained about people setting up comp competition because a guy in his truck can do what a company and a bunch of hirelings who are union members can do, and that was bad competition for the unions and do it like faster, it. right? And <laughs> and so so this is this this touches upon the regulations that uh, unions want, and interestingly, in many of those cases, they help businesses to be protected from competitors. That's what it ends up being. Nice. So you have unions and businesses actually both served by the unions in different ways through legislation in the states. And so that's it's just a very obviously anti-free market and it's against and it curtails capitalist acts among consenting adults. The third thing is the thing you didn't mention in your piece and maybe that should be the rest of the story because it got political. Mike the Mover had a politi political uh problem regarding the regarding this whole thing and uh maybe the people should read the piece at this is commonsense.org yes and that's the week <laughs> <laughs>